This episode is proudly sponsored by ShakeBay, Canada's easiest way to buy and earn Bitcoin in 10 minutes or less with no deposit or withdrawal fees. It's so easy, even the boomer can do it. Guys, I've personally been using ShakePay for several years and highly recommend them. Their mobile app makes it super easy to buy and sell Bitcoin. All you have to do is e-transfer directly to your ShakePay account and you're ready to go. So head over to shakepay.com or download the mobile app, use the referral code LOONYHOUR and get $30 of free Bitcoin when you sign up. ShakePay gives out free Bitcoin to every user every day just by shaking your phone. They call this the shaking sats feature. It's awesome. I highly encourage you to go check it out. ShakePay has also just launched one of Canada's only Bitcoin cashback prepaid credit cards, which gives users up to 2% Bitcoin cashback on every transaction. If you want to opt out, Canadian dollars and start earning rewards through Bitcoin, go check out ShakePay. Once again, guys, that's shakepay.com. Before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that this information discussed today is not intended to be or construed as investment advice. Please consult a professional advisor before putting a loony in any of these financial markets. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to the Looney Hour, episode 44. As always, joined by the three amigos, we got Rich Diaz, Acorn Macro Consulting, the pride of Montreal. Uh, and we got Keith Dicker of Ice Cap Asset Management, who has left the room and has now returned. Welcome back to the show, gentlemen. Um, what's, what's new, Rich? What's going on? How's, how's, how's Montreal treating you? It's good. It's hot. It's, I forgot how hot and, and, and muggy it is out here. Um, I've, I've complained a lot about bike paths in Halifax, which are basically unused um, and basically are just a bourgeoisie pet project to redistribute money from the poor to the rich. But in Montreal, the to- it's the total opposite. I, was, I went on a bike path and I was ripping around the city and there's loads and loads of bikes and everyone's biking and very courteous. And so I've got to, uh, I've got to, so yeah, that's that was really interesting and fun, and and so I gotta take it back. I was wrong about that. So there you go. Um, it's been a brilliant couple of weeks here, but it's way too hot. I don't know what's going on in uh, in Halifax, Keith. I go bike riding every day on the bike path. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I bike everywhere. That, that's what we. He's do got one of those bike. electric bikes. <laughs> yeah, the one with the little small so wheels. Well. That you can fold up in your in your pocket. Getting someone to um, pull you in a rickshaw is not the same as biking. <laughs> do you have a do you have a tandem bike? Do you have a tandem bike with Mrs. Ice Cap? No, but I've been using a tandem bike couple times on holiday with with my uh, daughter at the time, and of course, you know she doesn't pedal, so it's just me. Once we're uh, we're we're in New York City. Once we're going around uh, the, the big park there. And uh, so Mrs. Ice Cap and Junior, they're flying on their bikes. By the way, if you ever get a chance to go biking through Central Park, it's lots of fun. Meanwhile, I'm there with, you know, the, the other wee one on the tandem bike. And Central Park is not flat. Like, it's pretty hilly. So, uh, yeah, we got left behind. But this week, so you guys don't realize. So I, li- I live pretty close to one of the universities here. So they play, uh, they, they play football, of course. And... And, Steve's uh, dog. <laughs> every f- yeah, I know. There's something. Or Miss Mrs. Soresky barking at him already. 
but guys, yeah. So what I do uh, every few years, I, uh, I I I try to walk on the football team for for tryouts, and they uh, they never let me on the field. A few years ago, I, I go to the open tryout, and the guy looks at me, right? The coach, right? We're the same age. He said, "What are you here for?" I said, "I want to try out." He said, "Have you played football before?" I said, "Well, I, I see it on TV," and he said. <laughs> Do you, do you even go to school here? I said, well, I walked through campus and, and that was it. Anyway, but they have a new coaching staff this year. So uh, they'll have an open tryout coming up in, in a couple of weeks. And if anyone is in the area, you can join me for tryouts. Maybe we'll make the team. That's it. That's my summer. My, my dog's still in training. I apologize. <laughs> He's very cute. Uh, okay, guys. Anything big happening in the markets or is this like the world's like the the shortest loony this hour be, episode yeah, ever shrinkflation here on the loony hour episode um i and think we're done the, we're done yeah we're, <laughs> we're done the uh yeah i mean it would just give you a brief overview on the uh some updates on the canadian housing front as we typically try to start out these shows um you know we've seen that that five-year canada bond obviously rolling off i don't know how much emphasis you guys are putting on the uh, you know, collapsing or collapsing yield curve, basically the inversion there, the Canada twos, tens, I think it's down. I think it was looking at it yesterday. It's, you know, negative 57 basis points or something. I think it's been the, it's the deepest inversion in over 20 years. So um, it's kind of like distorting uh, a bit of the mortgage market. So you're actually at a situation now where um, a lot of your like one year fixed rate mortgages are actually pretty much almost the same price as, a, as locking in a five-year mortgage at this point, which is very unusual. And I think we're going to enter into a scenario uh, in September, which we'll get into, but September when the Bank of Canada raises rates, as we talked about last show, I think 50 basis points, uh, you could be in a scenario where your variable rate mortgage will actually be higher than your five-year fixed rate mortgage. So it's actually going to be a complete flip because what we've seen throughout most of this pandemic um, over the last 12 to 18 months is there's been a huge um, savings to go variable. You've actually saved on average, it's been about hundred to even as high as 200 basis point difference. Uh, so we, that's why you had over 50 plus percent of new mortgage originations going into variable rate products. And you could actually see that flip in the fall. So I think that's kind of interesting, something worth keeping an eye on, but uh Housing here remains incredibly slow. Um, I think one of the, the reasons for that is I'm getting a lot more phone calls from a lot of property investors, particularly in Vancouver and Toronto, where these things didn't like these things barely cash flowed to begin with. Like you were kind of lucky. Hey, if you put down 20%, you took out a 30 year amortization. You'd just be hopeful that your rent would just cover your mortgage and you'd maybe be, you know, losing a hundred bucks a month after all your expenses. What's happening now is because a lot of these uh, investors tend to go on variable rate products, right? They, because they want that liquidity option. If they decide to sell, you know, 18 months from now, they can, you know, just exit without really any penalties is that, you know, you have a lot of these, these mortgages that are, the payment's been going up, you know, every time the bank of Canada raises rates. And so what, what, what started out as a negative cash flow, you know, hundred bucks, all of a sudden we're getting some of these investors that say, well, now I'm negative 400 bucks and I've got three properties. So I'm losing 1200 a month. 
And so, you know, they're, they're really coming under the squeeze and it's almost like too late now to like convert and go into a fixed rate mortgage because the fixed rate mortgages are so punitively high. So I don't know, some things that we're watching inventory still remains incredibly weak. So to suggest this is kind of like 2008 all over again is, 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 is a complete misnomer, but um, there, there's going to be a lot of pain. Uh, Desjardins came, came out with another forecast, updated forecast. They were originally calling for a 15% decline in the average house price across Canada, now calling for a 25% decline. Desjardins calling for 25%. So kind of echoes our, our conversations last week about RBC coming out with this, you know, largest decline in Canadian history. And, and now you got Desjardins piling in. So all of the Canadian banks are kind of stepping up with more bearish forecasts, um, which is uh, pretty interesting to sort of play out. So wait a second. You're, so they're calling for a 25% decline in average price values? Yeah. The, the average Canada? house the, well, the average price. So this is the problem, right? I think we briefly touched on this was that you're going to see all these metrics thrown around like RBC saying deepest correction ever, but only a 12% decline. Well, it's like, that's because they're using the home price index, which is like this hedonically adjusted massaged index. And then you've got the average price, which is what Desjardins is using, which is, Hey, listen, if you stop selling, you know, $4 million luxury houses, but you start selling a lot more of you know, $600,000 condos, of course, your average sales price is going to fall. Um, so yeah, Desjardins is calling for a national house price decline using the average sales price of 25%, which is, is still very significant, but just some little bit of context there. Well, I think what we'll see, um, and again, I keep talking about this, we're getting closer every week, but when the Canadian banks and insurance companies, when they come out with their earnings now uh, later this month, then we'll start to see with RBC, for example, like, you know, you might have their economics team are calling for that kind of a decline. But let's see what the, um, you know, the finance department, you know, what kind of marks they're taking. I think it was August 18th. Oh, that's coming up soon, right? So next week. So uh, maybe next week, we'll get more clarity on, on earnings from the big banks. Yeah, but like, no, how many people don't put too much weight on the, the bank earnings in Canada? I, I don't anyway, but, um, but I'm, yeah. I'm smarter than everyone else. But this time <laughs> I am. And uh, when's the next one? August 24th. Well, a, so two I have more weeks. To con- I have some, sorry, sorry. I have something to contribute on the housing front, which is the, um, so I look at, um, we've talked about this before as well, which is just to talk, to look at like different indicators to sort of get a bead on either economic or macroeconomic, um, the picture. And something I look like to look at is bellwether stocks. So basically stocks that are big enough and liquid enough and popular enough to be traded, um, whether it's on the Canadian Stock Exchange or any other in the world. And I usually relate those. Um, so bellwethers related to themes. So if you're looking at energy, for example, you might look at Exxon. If you're looking at tech, you might look at Google and Apple. And in Canada, I like to look at um, some sort of housing bellwethers. Um, and we'll definitely share this chart. With, and some of these that I look at are sort of like uh, GoEasy, um, Home Capital Group, um, Altus Group. I don't know any. Steve will know what these companies. I know Altus mean, Group. I, yeah, I, I have no idea what these companies do. But you know, you can you can if you if sleep Sleep County. I think it's Beds, right, or something. Yeah, Sleep Country. Okay. Sorry, Sleep Country. Are they are they me. ripping right now? What's, what's yeah? So that's so that's what I thought was really interesting. That even though so even though we have all this negative 
sort of um, this negative wave of lower prices, weaker mortgage lending. Um, where uh, Keith expects banks to come out and say, you know, we're gonna we're gonna lower our we're gonna increase our provisions and lower our mortgage growth. Um, you know, five out of the six um, stocks that I track, um, oh, sorry, four out of the six stocks that I track are up in absolute terms. Um, and relative to the market, you know, they're, they, they're, they're outperformed by 20% in, in Canada. So I just think that that's something to keep an eye on. Maybe it's just, you know, maybe so, it's just like dead cat bounce or whatever it is, yeah. but it's just something to keep an eye on. How much of that is like that bear market bounce? Cause I was actually, right. I actually wrote an article uh, last week where, you know, just kind of watching, I mean, so I think we've talked about this briefly um, before, but is in Canada over the past five years, 80 to 85% of real GDP growth has been through uh, housing and consumption. Um, and so how much of that, when, when you got a 20 year low in your national housing markets, your two most important ones, like the knock on effects of that. So like one of the ones was the big announcement this that came out last week was, you know, article, which is a really popular online Canadian furniture store, like, you know, very like hip trendy, like, you know, the millennials love it kind of thing. And, uh, you know, in their first time in 11 years, they laid, they laid off staff and laid off 17% of their workforce. Yikes. And the CEO actually came out and was like, oh, you know, it's, uh, you know, post COVID, uh, you know, we just haven't, you know, the post COVID boom is, is kind of fading. And it's like, you know, AKA, Hey, they've removed the punch bowl, the cheap credit. When people stop buying houses, they don't they no longer need to buy a new couch to furnish their, 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 their new housing, right? If people aren't transacting homes, like you, you don't really need new furniture. So I think that's like a direct shot. And so, I don't know if it was me, I'm not a stock picker here, but I'd probably be fading sleep country as well. Um, yeah, I just want to know what isn't to blame. <laughs> if I get pulled over by police for speeding, can I say it's COVID? <laughs> if I shoplift at the local uh, grocery store, can I say it's COVID? I mean, it's, a, it's the same trade, right? Like I was actually in, uh, I was at a, a um, um, I was at a car dealership the other day, and uh, I was actually buying out the lease actually for to, to give the car to my dad actually. And so I was just chatting with the, uh, the BMW dealership. So I was chatting, chatting with the guy there and I said, Oh, you know, how are you guys doing? Like, you know, just, are you guys busy? You know, you're getting, and he's like, no, like we're, we're, we're pretty slow. He's like, we're busy, but he's like, what everyone's doing is buying out their car lease. Cause he's like, he's like to finance a new vehicle. I was like, what are your rates? He's like, there's seven to 8% to finance a vehicle now. And he's like, that used to be like, you know, three, 4%. Now it's seven or 8%. So nobody wants to finance a car and everybody like obviously used car prices have gone gangbusters over the last 18 months. So he's like, people are just like seeing their lease coming up and they're just opting to buy it out because they're like the residual just makes sense to buy it out. It's so much cheaper than going to the, to the open market and trying to buy a used vehicle. So that's, that's, it's interesting because I think it's all kind of part of the same trade, which is like highly levered economy, you know, housing takes a dump, you know, you all of a sudden have less money to go out and refinance to buy a new vehicle. And if your finance rates go from 4% to 8%, like it just becomes harder to run those numbers and obviously use new car prices are up exponentially. Right. So like at some point, the numbers just don't work. Did you, did you ask him about inventories? Cause you know, last week, you know, we saw some numbers from the ISM, the Tim's, you know, supply backlogs are starting to slow down. 
we're going to get into the commodity spit a bit later, but I was just curious about if he, if he, uh, did you ask him about inventory? Yeah. See, I'm like, I'm like, dude, I'm like you when you drive through New Brunswick, I'm just like grilling <laughs> this guy and he's like, what the hell is going I, on? I think everyone, I mean, I should, I don't think everyone should do that, but I, I ask all kinds of people. I know. I was like, Hey, I, I, I need some, business. I need some content yeah. for the loony hour. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let me pull up my notepad. Um, <laughs> No, yeah. So we were asking him kind of like, what's the most like popular car these days? Obviously, I'm in Vancouver. So like we love our electric cars here, you know, greenest city in North America. <clears throat> Plug. Um, but uh, yeah, he said their, their I models are like, so that's like BMW's electric line, the I. So he yeah. said that those are the most popular, but there's a two year wait list. Two years. Okay. So it hasn't come down at all. The, no. I mean, so I, he, yeah. An old friend of mine lives in London and he's been trying to buy like the, the fancy new Audi electric car and it's like a year, 18 month wait list. But I, I don't know, like how much of that is just like these broken supply chains that I don't know. Like, how, yeah. how do we fix them? And, and obviously, you know, all the, all the commodities that go into these cars are, are probably not easy to get still. Well, it's, it's a long-term fix. I mean, the Americans, for example, you, you know, the, obviously most, what, what percentage of the world's chips are made in Taiwan? It's about 75%. Yeah. It's 80, it's a, yeah. Three quarters. Yeah, it's a yeah. huge number, but the, I mean, the Americans are building two, maybe three chip plants or facilities. And I think each building is probably four to 5 billion each. No, sorry. 8 billion. That, that's what it is. They're, an, they're uh, enormously expensive. Yeah, they're incredibly big. So the way to fix the, you know, the lowest supply chain for that, it takes a long time to do yeah. it. It's, uh, it, it's tough. So what, one thing that, uh, you know, we're seeing now this week, you know, remember a, a few weeks ago, we talked about Whiplash, you know, that, that movie. And I try to use it as an analogy for what might be happening <laughs> in the world and markets. And, you know, typically with, with me, my analogies are, they don't work out. They're not very good. Um, however, but what's happening right now, especially this week with the Americans, they had their inflation number come out. So right now in, in the US, uh, the market is pricing the Fed to be at three and a half percent at year end. So right now they're at two and a half. So it's still 100 basis points going up. Whereas the Fed is still telling everyone we're likely going to be at four. So a 50 basis point difference, difference between what the market is pricing in and what the Fed is telling us, like that's enormous. Like that's a pretty big whiplash effect. So we can talk about how that might play out. Um, and the other thing for people to realize, understand, when, when we say the market is pricing this, this isn't what it, the estimate is from like economists at the big banks. It's what overnight money market rates are effectively telling us what the price is. And one thing that the Federal Reserve, what they always want to do, they always want to make sure commercial banks are not going to be on the wrong side of the rate game. So what's going to happen now coming up, I suspect starting, I know yesterday you had a Fed member out, the guy from Minnesota was out yesterday. I Neil. Guess, Neil, yeah. That guy's the <laughs> biggest, the biggest, the biggest dove gone. It's funny, right? Remember they show him, the, you know, you can make anyone look really awesome or not that awesome with photos, but the photos I always see of him, like he has these bulging eyes and it's probably not fair to you the You know, guy. he was, uh, just for context to everyone that's listening here, Neil Kashkari or whatever his name is, was the guy, he was advocating for the Fed to like not raise rates like indefinitely for like years. Like, so during the pandemic and everyone was like, hey, things are getting a little bit frothy. Maybe we should start raising rates. He was like the guy, he was going on all these podcasts. He was on like Bloomberg's like, uh, 
with Tracy Alloway, like on their podcast, being like, we should not be raising rates. Like we've got a long way to go to recovery. And like, this is when we have like a huge speculative boom. So like now this guy's coming out and saying like, you know, raw, raw 4% rates. And like, we're going to raise them again in 2023. It's just, I don't know, man, I would fade anything that guy says, but um, continue. Yeah. But but at the same time though, uh, with the fed, so the fed reserve bank of Minnesota, they are not on the voting committee this year. So Neil does not get to vote. He gets to attend the meetings, but he doesn't, you know, get to raise his hand or whatever. Um, and I also suspect, so think about it, like they all get together as groups, like, okay, this is what we're going to do. We need someone to send a message. And they say, oh man, this is going to control. Like, Neil, we want you to tell this story this week. You know, can you embellish it? And he's like, oh, oh yeah, of course I can. And that's, that's what I do. So uh, you, you're right. We always had to figure things out. But from a more important perspective here, we have that 50 basis points gap right now between what the market is pricing than what the Fed is you know, suggesting where they're going to be. It has to be reconciled. And it doesn't mean you know, they do some horse trading or you know, they agree it'll be 375. Like something is going to happen here. And um, a lot of the, the, the serious shops that are really like the big central bank watchers, they're saying, Listen, forget about inflation coming off or growth slowing or not slowing. The, the central banks are going to continue to be very aggressive going forward. And just remind everyone, so the CPI number that, that came out, I think Rich might dive deeper into it. That with the diffusion index as well, Rich. And uh, I refuse inflation, to talk about the diffusion index. <laughs> I know. That was, a, that was another classic loony hour time. That was... It's like Looney Hour episode six, maybe, <laughs> or five. I can give you the inflation uh, numbers, but that's it. <laughs> but remember, if inflation is still increasing. In some pockets of the economy, it, it's it's not even not increasing more. It could be very slow and everything. But our view, you know, you get to equity markets. This, this continues to be a, a bear market rally. And that's what it is until it isn't anymore. So uh, we're starting to hit some technical lines right now. So it's, it's thir- we recorded this on Thursday, of course. So we're uh, the S and P around forty two fifty. I think might be a pretty good line in the sand. We, you know, we hit that now this morning and bounced back. But, you feel pretty uh, good about that call. I'm holding no, you to that. No, you always feel uneasy about everything because right now, like you know, we have equities. Like we're we're not afraid of equities. But um, just to be clear, we're, we're not chasing this higher like we'll gladly take the return yeah. you know we add around the edges to, to other markets that we think are going to help us out um but right now you know back to the whole whiplash story it continues to look like in from our view and our research that we're using that the economy is going to slow down and it could slow down pretty dramatically which would put more pressure on central banks you know not to raise rates you also pressure earnings and stuff like that but right now you're getting this you know, relief rally, the relief valve, the stocks that lost the most money. I think I read yesterday uh, that the stocks that had the the biggest negative revision to their earnings that came out, they're the ones that rallied the most over the last week, especially. So, you know, the market is still trying to figure things out here. But again, we expect the economy is going to roll off. Inflation will eventually roll off. But as of right now, the central banks are still like, you know, full on to keep going. So which brings up the other point. Because if you look at some of these longer term curves, you know, for, for the for the Fed especially, you know, they're trying they're starting to predict that they'll start cutting rates next year. And and again, like that's another big 
move to get to, but we'll see. We'll see where we're going. Yeah, no, I'd love, I mean, that's a good, good point. I'd love to, to kind of get Rich's thoughts to break down the CPI for us a bit, but I mean, I'm kind of curious maybe after Rich's, you know, spiel here of, of what the, what the takeaway is. Cause my, my sort of, you know, you see them, the markets obviously celebrating in inflation coming down, you know, a little bit below expectations, still running at eight and a half percent. Um, but it's almost like, okay, when you get market markets up, like you get an easing of financial conditions, like it almost gives the fed more ammo to say, Hey, listen, the market's not understanding it. They're not getting it. They're not tightening enough. But this, this gives us more ammo to actually keep raising interest rates, right? Like if the stock market obviously keeps dropping, then they're more, more pressure to actually reverse course on rates. Right. But Rich, yeah. Well, yeah. let's go through the numbers and then let me kind of touch on what you just said because I, I agree with you completely. So quickly, just for um, just to make this quick. So Steve mentioned 8.5. That's the headline number. As we all know by now, hopefully, um, there's headline and core. So core is X food and X energy. Now you can argue about whether or not you should take those out. Uh, that's a conversation for a different day. But if you remove food and energy, you get uh, 5.9. So all countries sort of have core and headline measures. They more or less do them the same. And you can sort of Google these at your leisure. Um, I like to look at a couple of things, which um, so we've talked a lot about shelter component. So shelter is, I think, 41%. I always screw that number up. It's slightly different in, in, in Canada. But basically, a lion's share of, the, of your consumer basket is shelter. And shelter continues to ratchet higher. So we're at uh, 5.7. Um, so that's an important component of a consumer basket. There's other things that we like to look at. So our services. So services, uh, so you can, you can split up the CPI basket um, into goods which um, so are basically based, which are, are physical goods. So obviously dependent on commodity prices, maybe more linked to energy, um, maybe more linked to import prices and, and supply chain stuff. And then there's also services, obviously, which is the other sort of section. And you can, and those are typically more, they're stickier. Um, they're related more to sort of labor market issues that you might have. Um, they're more sensitive to wage pressures generally. Um, these are broad strokes sort of in analyses. I'm sure that there are services that are more uh, susceptible to commodity prices, but by and large, you have those sort of that dichotomy and the services inflation is 6.2. So that's holding up pretty well. Uh, one thing that I thought was like really kind of just negative and continues to rise is food. So again, you know, if you're poor food um, and energy are a larger portion of your basket makes sense. Um, you know, you can only buy so many, um, um, you know, cartons of milk or, you know, so many, you know, um, so many uh, chicken legs or whatever it is for your family, but food keeps rising 10.9% and food at home, which is, you know, so even if you want to, let's say you say you want to cut down on your spending at restaurants or you want to cut, you know, stop going to the pub or whatever it is, food at home is, is rising higher and higher. And I, and, I, and I make that point just because um, there are different surveys that the, for example, the New York Federal Reserve will publish or, you know, the Canadian Central Bank will publish. And they ask, um, they, they split out sort of inflation uncertainty. They ask you, how do you feel about inflation? And they split that out between, you know, people who make less than 50,000, 50,000 to 100,000 and then more than 150,000 or whatever. I can't remember exactly the split, but they do it by sort of income group. And what's starting to rise consistently relative to the others is the poor section 
of the economy, poor section of the labor market is starting to get increasingly worried about inflation. And, and then that's, you know, that's a meaningful number. I think politically, it'll definitely have some ramifications. We'll get to, you know, towards the end of the summer, we'll start talking more and more about that as we wind into the midterms for the US. But that's just something that I think, you know, poor, the inflation numbers always hit the poor the, the worst. And I think it's something I, I just was really striking was the food at home was just 13% year on year, which is incredible. And then there's the final thing, which I mentioned on the, on the, on the inflation, which is there are different measures that you can look at inflation. You can look at median um, CPI. Um, you can look at a specific basket, like we said, whether it's headline or core. And then you can look at something called the trimmed mean CPI. Um, and that's from the Cleveland Federal Reserve. Again, you can Google all this stuff in case I screw the, num the numbers. I'll be happy to be corrected. But right now, the trimmed mean CPI is from the Cleveland Fed, and that's at 7%. And so why do I reference that? Because that's like a sort of measure of, of sort of like the central tendency. What is the trend in overall inflation? Is it going up? Is it going down? And for that number to hit seven and to continue sort of to be ratcheting higher and higher, I mean, it's it shocked me as someone who, who thought inflation was going to be was going to happen, who thought it wasn't transitory and who thought it was going to be high to see that seven percent number in the trimmed mean is striking even for me. And I, my expectations were very, very high. So that's and it just won't has not rolled over. So what does that mean? You know, you, you, you draw you have a distribution of all these different CPI prints and you knock off you know, the lower uh, lower chunk. I think it's a 15 percent or 16 percent trimmed mean. And then you lock knock off the top half, you know, to get rid of those outliers on both sides. And you, you sort of mark that central tendency. And so that number to be continuing to rise is, is, is quite remarkable. Back to your point, Steve, about why interest rate expectations should probably ratchet higher going forward is because the other part of the equation, which the Federal Reserve looks at, remember the Fed is a dual mandate Fed. Some people might say it's a triple mandate. So well, the first mandate is inflation. The second is full employment. And I'm of the view it's a triple mandate with the S&P 500 being the third, but that's a little tongue in cheek. And last week we got sort of excellent employment numbers in my view anyways. Uh, the U.S. added 520-odd thousand jobs, which um, led by education and health, which are a little bit seasonal, and led by hospitality, which obviously got crushed in COVID. But the thing that I thought was really interesting is the prime-aged workers um, is back to peak, and the unemployment rate for those prime-aged workers is below 3%. And so when we think about what Steve said, when we think about what Keith said with respect to inflation expectations, where we think the Fed's going to go, how much rate hike's going to do, and then the stock market, as you pointed out, Steve is going up. I just see, yeah, I've definitely I've been wrong about this, and it's just it's just that to me, it's a meaningful change in 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 my view. I guess is that the the Fed is I think it's a green light for the Fed, um, and and it's just interesting to see those expectations not sort of meeting what either the rhetoric or the data is telling us. Yeah, Keith, I'd love to get your thoughts on that because I to me. Yeah, as someone that's been, hey, let's see how far they can get on rates. I mean, like I said, when you see when you see markets rally like they are now, to me, I agree with with Rich. It is that green light to to keep raising rates, right? Because we've always been like, hey, listen, they're going to raise rates. Something's going to break. We can definitely see a lot of the systemic things that are building in the system. But hey, at the end of the day, markets are up. You know, green light for the Fed to keep raising rates. What are your thoughts? Uh... So I always like to go, I always believe the central banks try to be as transparent as they can. And they make mistakes, of course, because, you know, was it in 2000, Bank of Canada said, we will not 
raised rates until 23. So they're, they're off, they're off by a little bit. Um, however, again, I go back, we, we have this, you know, awkward discrepancy right now. And it, it seems to us like the central banks will continue to raise rates. And I say that, I mean, the Fed, I think we should talk about Europe as well. But uh, they will keep doing that. And what they have in their favor, you know, the the inflation numbers so that they're using the data it is starting to be less what's the word uh it's not growing as strong as it was before it is starting to roll over a little bit Joe biden said zero inflation <laughs> yeah okay but to get let's go back to let's comment on that real so we won't he said there was zero inflation uh remember he's just reading stuff right he's He's, he's talking about month over month inflation, stuff. by the right. way, which it, was yeah. officially it was technically, zero. He, technically, he's technically he was, right. It's very misleading. Exactly. You know, again, we won't go political. I feel like that's this. almost like a slap in the face because I'm just going to quickly read you guys something. Um, we, you know, Rich said 13% inflation uh, for food at home, which is obviously extremely important to your lower middle class. Uh, single family rent in the US. So on average, Per core logic, overall rents rose by a record, uh, an average of 14% uh, in May from a year earlier. Uh, so a- annual rent inflation for single family homes in Miami up 39.5%, Las Vegas 16.7%, Phoenix 16.6%, Atlanta 14.8%, uh, Boston 13%, Tucson, Arizona 12%, Chicago, Illinois Yikes. 11%. So that's just year over year single family uh, house rent increases. So um, tough hey, time I mean, to be a politician. You guys know, yeah. I mean, you guys know my view with with what's happening politically. the The White House and the Democrats they don't have any favorable movements right now. So they're going to try to get everything they can. So by them saying, "Hey, there's zero percent inflation right now," it's it's a bit misleading and it's makes people laugh even more than what they're laughing at that side right now. So in their favor, they, they you know, they could get another two months of maybe he'll say they have negative inflation next month, which would be even more laughable. <laughs> but the point is politically, there's going to be some pretty uh, wacky stuff coming out. You know, so you can take your red pill or, or blue pill, whatever you want to. We have that coming here. Uh, but one thing that the central banks will have in their favor, if the economy does continue to slow, is what we expect it will. Uh, it won't happen in time for the midterms, maybe in November, but in inflation numbers it could be coming down very dramatically, you know, especially towards year end. And, um, you know, and then that's, that's a different market as well coming up. Because remember, because that's the one way the central banks can crush inflation right now. It's not by making it more expensive for people to, to live, right? Which would then contract demand. Just, just by crushing the economy where there's like the negative wealth effect, you have that going on. Um, you know, you have trade wars taking place and things like that. But crushing the economy couple- is the way that, that you do it. We need to jump into Europe. Guys, because sorry, I think- but, but we need to be um, sorry before I screwed up. I forgot one thing that did come down, which is the core X shelter. <laughs> so Damn he's it, not totally wrong. <laughs> anyway, sorry, carry on. I liked, I liked like a few years back. Uh, I remember in the bank, not the Bank of Japan, but the, but the Japanese 
the Bureau of Japanese Economic Data, whatever they're called, I have no idea. Uh, their their core inflation number stripped out sushi. I don't know if you guys so stripped out, you know, energy, oh. food, and sushi. Right, number one, which we thought was quite funny that they would do that. The point is, don't believe all the numbers that we have right. coming here. Just to and just to summarize here, by the way, um, to Joe Biden's point. So, if inflation continues to print zero percent month over month between now and December, CPI will end the year 2022 at 6.3% uh, inflation year over year. So if things continue to move sideways, obviously we're still dealing with, with high inflation, but I'm curious if that's going to be enough uh, to obviously get the Fed to pivot, which is really the trillion dollar question at this point, which everyone's kind of wagering on here of when when these guys are going to crack so we'll, we'll we'll obviously have more answers here uh, as things progress throughout the year which is why we continue to the loony hour every single week but um i mean back over to the to the basket case in in europe there keith you got some updates yeah the economic fantasy land called europe here we go we need to get some shirts made up by the way that would be a good one yeah i have a new t-shirt coming soon i only have three so the fourth one would be would be nice. Yeah, I can the, tell. Um, yeah. Um, oh, by the way, uh, yeah, this is uh, my Mount Everest T-shirt. Um, on the on the wall up here, somebody was asking me a while ago what that picture is. That that's a uh, a climbing photo. So I did I did climbing a few years back. And I was gonna say, is that a picture of Scott? <laughs> Scott from Winnipeg. <laughs> Actually, it was that trip. It was that climb. Yeah. Is that it, your Tinder was. profile pic? <laughs> No, I don't. I don't use that one. Um, He's a grinder, more of a grinder. A grinder? Never mind. Oh boy, never mind. Let's so continue fun. the conversation. <laughs> okay, now I forget. Oh, we're over to Europe. Um, so the, the European economy will be slowing for a, a different reason altogether, and that's because they're being squeezed on on the energy side. Uh, energy is they're they're being squeezed so much right now for oil and not gas, that the Germans have now started importing coal, I believe. Am I getting that story right? Maybe I'm not. Uh, but yeah, they're opening up a bunch Europe- of new coal plants. Yeah. They're burning yeah. raw lake ignite, which is the worst kind of coal as well. They're starting to burn a significant amount of coal. Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, they're, they're all going to get squeezed. And um, at the same time, when the global economy is rolling over as well, However, the ECB, you know, they, they could try to raise rates some more. You know, the, the Italians are still in trouble. So we'll see where we go with it. But, you could, you know, again, I, I anticipate the American economy will continue to be the strongest relative to everyone else. But the Europeans, just because of, they're stuck with that, you know, geopolitical situation right now between Russia and Ukraine and, and how it's affecting the gas flows. Uh, they're in for a lot of trouble coming up. Yeah. So can I just contextualize the natural gas um, thing just really quickly? So, so natural gas is, 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 although it's a global commodity price, depending on how your, your country is able to import it. And um, so I think you have a ni- liquid natural gas, what is it called? Like a, it's a plant basically that turns that, that liquefied natural gas in back into gas and then distributes it um, throughout your economy. And Germany doesn't really have the right proper facilities. And so whether it's a Henry hub, which is the number that you find in the US or whether it's, um, I think it's called the, there's a trading hub in Europe. There's the 
TTF, so Title Transfer Facility in the Netherlands. And then there's the ICE in the UK. I don't remember what the ICE stands for. But basically, you know, depending on where you are in all over the world, you have different prices of natural gas. And it's not because natural gas is particularly scarce. It's just a function of whether or not you can adequately sort of import it and then distribute it within your, your country and whether the demand is high or low in that region. And just to give you an idea, the, the Dutch um, TTF is 200 euros per megawatt hour. And the equivalent in the US is 27 per megawatt hour. So it's like almost 10 times as expensive. And just a reminder, in Europe, a lot of the industrial base is run off those natural, ga- uh, natural gas. And so um, and that's why you see purchasing power, purchasing price index in Germany at thirty percent and all that stuff. Anyway, sorry, that's just a little bit of context. Did you see what the uh, did the Spanish have mandated? What air conditioning no. temperatures can oh, be set no. at? Sorry, 80, what? De- Eighty degrees is the lowest they're allowed to have their AC Yikes. set at. So in Germany, room temperature no in Spain. Room temperature so room- seventy-two, right? Yeah, it's, and I find 72 a bit warm, truthfully. I like 71, 71 and a half around there. But uh, 80, guys, that's friggin' hot. Oof. And it's and it's the so summer. That's... Keep in mind that the winter is where you get most of, right? Because, it's, I mean, yes, energy is used for air conditioning, and certainly in Spain and, you know, parts of Italy, et cetera, et cetera. But it's it's heating. It's used for heating. Um, it's used for electricity, um, to used for heating, and it's um, obviously used in, in kitchens, et cetera, et cetera. But like, it's a nightmare. This energy thing is just really gonna gonna really crush Europe. Anyway, sorry. Back back to it, Keith. Sorry. Yeah. Anyone going to Italy soon? They might want to bring um, you know some fans with them or, or something. <sighs> Can't do it. I'm glad I I got carry on only. When are you going, Steve? September 1st. Okay, I've never very been. Good. Very good. If anyone's got any recommendations, put them in the uh, comment section below. Just, just, uh, and if you've got any crypto trading strategies, put them in the comments below as well. <laughs> We're seeing a lot of that. I, they're, they're, all of by the way, they are, <laughs> they are completely unavoidable. I've deleted and banned everyone that has commented and they just keep coming and coming. And I've had, I've actually had people call me um, like, like friends and clients of mine that like listen to the show and they call me like, Steve, have you heard of this Mrs. Jane Smith uh, crypto strategy? I, I reached out to her via WhatsApp and I was like, Oh my God, dude, no, like it's a scam. Like he was like, Oh, but like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how people are falling for this guys, but please, there's no crypto strategy here to, to day trade your way into into riches. So just listen to the loony hour and mind your own business. Back to Italy. Here we go. One cool thing you will find if you're driving in Italy and you're not from Italy, you know what I said? The, the road signs, they change. So a sign that's typically blue all of a sudden you enter another town and that, that same meaning on the blue sign. Now that sign is yellow or it used to be a triangle shape and now it's round and you might have 25 signs at one intersection and they might say you cannot turn anywhere, you know, straight left or right. So it, it's a, it sounds like you might have a vision problem. It's like the, no, it's the like directionally well, uh, challenged fantasy land. 
I'll tell you something about Italy. It has a way, way better roads than Montreal. Um, I once went on a vacation with my mom in northern Italy, and it's a beautiful place to drive fast. <laughs> and uh, I will not we, be going uh, fast. I rented uh, a I rented a uh, Fiat. Yeah, those are those are cute. Those little tiny yeah, those are cars. They're, yeah, they're they're cute. They're not fast. No, but northern Italy is a dream to drive. The roads are way, way better than they are in Montreal. Um, I would definitely recommend that. Um, but anyways, okay, so back to the commodity thing. I just want to talk about just some of the stuff we're seeing. Um, one of the things we've, we discussed is how do we sort of assess the global economy? What are the indicators that might be useful to us? Um, what stands out sort of in positive? Um, and to me, Dr. Copper. So, you know, we've talked a lot about, um, you know, obviously the, the globe is slowing down. Um, and maybe this is because China is sort of unlocking. Who knows? Um, you know, China's PMI it has gone up from the from the lows, but Dr. Copper has rebounded significantly, which I thought was really interesting. Um, as have a bunch of the other metals that we look at, whether it's uh, rhodium or uh, platinum or palladium. Um, even tin has stopped falling. Uh, zinc, which is indeed a metal, <laughs> has uh, has has bounced. Um, and so so it's um, you know. It's, I mean, yes, they're, they're down maybe 20, 30% from, from the highs, but it's interesting to see that there's, they've stopped falling just on the commodity side. I thought it was worth, worth mentioning. Well, what else is there? It's kind of do a you think they'll keep going. Wait, do you think they'll keep going higher then? Is that what your expectation? I just think, I think the, I think the commodity, you know, we've had such a massive decline in some of them. I mean, um, you know, for some of the commodities that have fallen 30, metals have fallen. I mean, they were down almost 30% from the, the peak. They still are really 30% from the peak. And I think this rebound that we're seeing, you know, I mean, I've made the case before that there's just not structurally, there's just not enough supply, right? So you have to sort of differentiate between the short-term impulse, which I think is related to people maybe bidding up risk assets or whatever, and sort of the long-term view that commodity prices won't go back down to what we saw in 2016, 17, 18. Um, so I think it's still too early to tell. But Dr. Copper, as you know, there's a reason people put the DR there, Dr. Copper, is, is it really is an important indicator as far as, um, you know, whether it's China's growth impulse, China's real estate sector, which we haven't talked about that in a couple of weeks, but is obviously still in trouble. Um, but it's just something you keep an eye on. I mean, in general, you know, um, oil stopped falling, agricultural goods have stopped falling, and metals have stopped falling. So, you know, even though we're still worried about the global growth, it's, it, you know, it's just, you know, you can't, you can't only just look at things that confirm your position, right? You have to just be assessing all kinds of different indicators and whether it's commodities, risk assets and stuff. Another thing we talked about also what, a couple of weeks ago was the spreads. Spreads also are starting to come back in for, high, for the high yield investment, uh, for the high yield bonds in, in, the, in the U.S. corporate space. Although what was weird, Keith, I don't know if you can explain this to me, but the investment grade is continuing to get wider. So I don't know what is going on there, but you have two completely different differentiated messages. Um, and I couldn't really figure it out. By the you way, I mean, well, oh well, I mean, with, with the with the high yield, you know, junk spreads tightening that it gets it's what's sold off the most. Yeah, it that's, is rallying, that's rallying the most here. Yeah. Um, I mean, our again, we deal with probabilities all the time. And we think the probability of oil going lower again from where we are right now, we, we think it's quite high. So again, I, I put all this as a, you know, as, as a bounce trade, yeah. you know, it's a beta play and everything. Some betas are more are higher than one for some markets than others. So we'll, we'll see where we go here. But if the economy does roll over, and I keep saying that all the time, and 
after August and September, we'll start getting confirmation whether that is starting to happen. And a lot of these numbers, they won't be month over month. Like some models we use like a six month rolling average, some are nine months and things like that. As we get more data like that, and then you could see anything that's economically sensitive, you know, that will roll, that will roll off. So for example, in the currency world, um, like Euro is considered to be economically sensitive. And, um, you know, Japanese yen isn't. So like a, a common trade would be in, in that situation, a short euro, long yen, for example, things like that. So um, again, I keep going back to the expectation that maybe we do roll off here. I think it's definitely like a process though, right? I mean, people have to keep in mind, we're recording these shows on a weekly basis and, you know, the global economy doesn't really move on a weekly basis. I mean, these are longer term medium to longer term things that are sort of taking time to play out. Right. So, and it's not um, linear, you know, it goes backwards and forwards. Something that I think that's also really important as far as sort of, again, I guess I'm talking at both sides of my mouth here, but something that's confirming the negative view that we have on whether the economy or even equity markets is the earnings expectations. Um, And those continue to roll over. So one way, one thing that we talk about a lot is, you know, analyst expectation of interest rates or, you know, of, or uh, let's say of bank earnings or whatever, but there's a company that they, there's companies that aggregate analyst expectations and you can aggregate them on sector level, on a specific company, on the global level. Um, and then they, you know, you can do things, you can do all kinds of weird and wonderful things with them. You could look at revisions ratios. So how many analysts are upgrading estimates versus downgrading estimates. You look at that through time. That's a that's an indicator I really like to look at, and those earnings revision ratios are starting are negative now in earnest, even for the U.S., which has had really really strong earnings expectations. And then there's different ways of looking at that further, which is something else I'm looking at right now, and I'll share with YouTube um, the YouTube viewers, which is um, earnings expectations on the level term. So do you think you're going to earn hundred dollars this year, or 110 this year, or 90 this year? And for 2023, you know they've been really really so, and then, oh, sorry, sorry, one, one step back. So you can do this for like whatever calendar year. So 2022, 2023, 2024, and obviously the further out you go, the less reliable it might be. But for next year, the earnings expectations on a level terms are really starting to roll over. And even for super strong sectors like tech, which is to me a big, big red flag for the equity market and something I've been looking at. We used to call these the squiggles. And uh, <laughs> so, the, do, you, do you hear hear the call that before? So the way no. the chart would work, yeah. So you're taking, uh, say, at the beginning of the year. So say it's you know, say it's the beginning of 22. Um, just say it's for the S and P 500 or sure. for a, a company. Just say it's for the broad market, though. You know, they have that a dotted line where you think earnings are going to go for the whole year, and then where they will be for the year after 23, right. and even two years out is too far, but th- they'll have that data there and then as the year goes on the previous estimates will stay there and they'll put a new line in so every quarter when you're getting more data coming out and then what happens every single time everyone is always too optimistic and optimism isn't bad but when it comes to earnings estimates that's that's normally the trend so so at the end of the year you're going to have like four different lines going on here for each time period and Earnings estimates, they always start to come down. But what some people may not realize, um, 
So in, in a business, we, we call them multi-factor models. So uh, we, what it means is that you take a whole bunch of different important economic data points are coming out and you might assign a higher weighting to one, a lower weighting to another, like a very typical one, for example, you're taking tenure rates and inflation and oil. Like those are the three big that you throw in together. They'll spit out a number, you multiply it by the market and that's what you think will happen with it. Um, the reason these models though, and like we talk about, like Steve just mentioned, you know, every week we're doing this and it's slow moving. Ember earnings data comes out quarterly. So you, you know, that's all you're gonna to get to confirm It's four times a year, you get a confirmation of whether your earnings estimate is right. Most economic data is, is monthly. So that's pretty good. You don't hardly get any weekly data, you know, except for weekly unemployment claims, but that, that's a bit of a, a funny one. But it's this year, but that's why you're not going to get a, a real sharp change in any kind of an estimate on a weekly basis because the, the data is just not available and everything else is just a lot of noise. Speaking of noise, the loony hour is noise this week. <laughs> Dude, we were all over the place this week. I know. I don't even think that makes sense anymore. I like Rick's, a, sorry, I like uh, I called you Rick. I like Rich's rant on the the bike lane earlier. <laughs> last week it was what was it? Oil last week? No, Canada should be producing more oil. Well, no, because I mean, people think I'm like against. I, I don't believe in climate. And now you're ranting against bikers, so you're on the same trend. Everyone <laughs> should have a car. That's where no, you no. Let go. me get this out. Let me get this out. I, I'm very, as you know, I have thin skin. I read the comments, and people think I'm like I don't believe in climate change or whatever. And I just I I'm a I'm a pragmatist. I think that uh, I and I hate virtue signaling. And I spent a lot of time reading the how technology works from nose to tail, you know, all the gritty stuff. I mean, there's a there's a video going out you guys sent around about a cobalt mine somewhere in Africa. And it's people digging cobalt with their bare hands. And it's absolutely horrific. And so um, just to correct the record here, I do think climate change is something to be considered and and to be worked on. But I think it should be done holistically, nuclear power. And, uh, and so please, can you spare me, <laughs> spare me the the anti environment rhetoric in the comments? There you go. <laughs> I think it's your, your oil and gas rant was was well received. Um, okay, good. <laughs> so. But I think that's a good place to, to leave it. Um, you know, we're kind of in the dog days of summer, guys. So you'll have to kind of bear with us here over the next, uh, you know, couple of weeks as we look for more interesting things to kind of chat about. I think as, as you know, all these fund managers and, and everything get back to back to business in the fall, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, I can just, all I can say is like, even from like, you know, my day-to-day in the housing market, like there's just not a lot going on. Um, nothing's going to change in the housing market. Maybe next, next week, uh, sorry, next week we get Rich's view on swimming pools. <laughs> no. <laughs> God. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> speaking of swimming pools, anyways, there's, yeah, there's not a whole lot going on in the next two, three weeks. So we'll, we'll get a better sense of, of when we sort of get back into everyone's day-to-day lives and all these out of office replies that we're getting. So, um, but Anyways, we'll leave it there for this week. Uh, we appreciate your support. Uh, what we we're asking here, we're trying to continue to grow and beat Arrival, ArriveCan, uh, the app. So please leave us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And all we ask is that you share this episode with at least one family or friend as we continue to build the Looney Hour community. Um, God bless, and we'll see you next week.